All right, Zeke, this is day five. This is the last day of our look back at the very early year of Dad's Drinking Bourbon. And we are ending this from August 14th, 2018. This was a two-parter. There were two parts to this episode. I'm only doing part one because part two was us actually drinking some stuff and talking about that. But part one is more of him actually talking. And boy, this guy is one of those guys. He's so easy to interview because all you have to do is say, how are you today? And then shut the microphone off an hour later. And he will take you wherever you need to go. And that is Bernie Lubbers from Heaven Hill. And what a conversation we had with him. And funny about this one is this was also at your kitchen. We've talked about how there were certain ones that were were recorded in my kitchen. This was not recorded at your B&B. This was recorded at your dining room table in your house that we typically did not record at. Yeah, I think this was the only one ever. There was one other one. Funny thing about that is there was one other time that we tried to record at your house and I had put the board on a metal chair and I remember leaving your house. I came home and I was listening to the recording and I said, Zeke, I put the board on a metal chair and it sounds like we're robots. We can never put the board on a metal chair ever again. And the only other time we tried to record at your house, it was an epic failure. I mean, you're the IT department here, not me. I know, but we learned, we lived and we learned and then we never put the board on a metal chair ever again. But no, the show of Bernie, to say the least and say the most, it was great. The fact that he's, you know, the brand ambassador for Heaven Hill, I think it's along the same lines. Like, that's the most minimalist title you could give him, but he embodies it to such a degree beyond just simply being an ambassador. Every time we had a question, every time we asked him anything, he was a hundred percent Heaven Hill. And and not nuts a like scoffish way or put offish way but he had the best spins for everything oh and he spoke very highly of beam from his time there as well but i think more so than anything this man is not just a brand ambassador for heaven hill he is just an amazing bourbon brand ambassador you know and and talks about how much he loves bottled and bond and you know he's not afraid to tell you that he loves henry mckenna and if you think about when we had this interview with him it was before mckenna won whiskey (laughs) of the year and he was talking about how much he loves mckenna how much he loves bottled and bond and now you have the san francisco world spirits competition mckenna wins they blow up and it's a completely different story but he had been talking about McKenna forever. No, I agree with you 110%. If there was ever a just enthusiast ambassador for bourbon, it's Bernie, 110%. He did speak highly of other brands and other people and, and his history over the years of being in bourbon. But at the same time, he always made a point to get that Heaven Hill interjection in there. You know, I, I really appreciate it and enjoyed like, hey, this man is doing his job 110%. He'll speak highly about being other people, et cetera. And then, oh, by the way, did I talk about this yet? Did I tell you about it? Like, here's what we have to offer. I mean, he does his job and you, you can't fault anybody for that. No, you can't. And we were so happy to have him. 
I can't wait to have him again. He's just a fun time. Next time he comes back, though, we have to make sure he brings a guitar. And if he doesn't, I will bring one over for him. What an MG that he called you? No. On the group message thing, he gave you a nickname. I'm going to have to go back. I think it's MG. The funny thing about this is we had our friend uh, from Cooper Spirits, Ryan Yamada, was also here because he was buddies with Bernie, and Ryan was nice enough to hook us up with Bernie. We can't wait to have Ryan on again because that new Hawksodder's Rye is supposed to be coming out, the one that Zeke got right and I got wrong as to which one they were going to pick. Hey, we hadn't revealed that yet. <laughs> no, everybody revealed it already. We already revealed it on a show. We talked about it, but we got to have Ryan on again and we have to have Bernie on again. But today's show is sponsored by cascartel.com, changing the industry standard as to how you get your alcohol. Go to cascartel.com, get your liquor shipped directly to your door. Obviously, some of the allocated stuff is going to cost more, but it's a convenience play. You want your, your daily drinker shipped directly to you. Go to cascartel.com. You can find something that is reasonably priced that is a daily drinker and get it shipped right to your house. By sitting on your couch, you don't even have to get up and go to the store. You can just go to cascartel.com. Also find them on Instagram, at cascartel. They're always doing awesome giveaways to their followers. Today's show is also sponsored by premiumbarproducts.com. That is the place to go to get the official Dad's Drinking Bourbon Glen Karen glass. They also have awesome other glasses that you can laser etch and personalize, whether or not you want the Tua, the Dram, the Wee Dram, the Wee Glen Karen, the Distiller's Tasting Glass, whatever it is, they have it. The Neat Glass, the Tipsy Dram the tipsy rocks, all sorts of stuff. Go to premiumbarproducts.com. If you are a distillery or a store or a bourbon group and you have more of a wholesale play, reach out to me. I'll get you in touch with Vicky and Carson and Janie, and they will be able to help you out at premiumbarproducts.com. Zeke, without further ado, here's Bernie Lovers. Hey, the best tattoo in bourbon. Hello, hello, everyone. My name is John Edwards. With me, as always, is Zeke Baker, and together we make the Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, thank you for making us a part of your day. Say hello to the folks, Zeke. Hello, hello. That's all you got? There's a lot going on right now. I'm distracted. <laughs> I, you're very... Well, that's normal, but <laughs> it's a very special night tonight. We have the whiskey professor himself, Bernie Lubbers, Mr. Bottled and Bond, Thank you very, very much for coming into the studio with us and spending some time. Well, thank you, John. Thank you, Zeke. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me down. I love coming to Nashville. We should have planned it out more because I know you're going to Roberts after this. Usually. And, and I feel like we should be going. <laughs> I need a baloney sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Roberts is my favorite, favorite, favorite bar in Nashville. And there's no other place you could go and get a nice PBR and listen to some Station Inn and Roberts are my two things. Yep. Mm-hmm. If they ever got rid they just got rid of Paradise Park. And if they got rid of Roberts, I think I'm not gonna lie, I know I'm a big guy, I'd cry. <laughs> I would cry. Yeah, I think the Paradise's final shindig was this past weekend. On Saturday yep. night, yeah. 
It was a big to-do. Yeah, I, I was invited and I purposely <laughs> made it so that I couldn't go. I met some friends like, why are you wearing gym clothes? And so y'all cannot drag me to the bar. <laughs> I don't need squishy feet. I, I didn't mind it when I was 20, but uh, or in my 20s. We also are very, very lucky to have two other guests. One you know and love, Ryan Yamada, now in Nashville, our favorite Cooper Spirits rep. Thank you very much for, for joining us. Thank and, you for having me back. And Vinny, who runs headquarters in down, we are talking about downtown Nashville bars. We have Vinny here as well. Hello, so hello. What's up? We have a, a whole group of guys sitting around a table with a bunch of whiskey on it. So, uh, <laughs> Bernie, I know you brought us some. Can't it, come empty handed, not from Heaven Hill anyway. No, and, and we've, <laughs> we've got so many brands, I don't even know what they are. <laughs> Well, and I mean, let's, let's, before we even go into what you brought, let's kind of, I mean, you guys have everything. You have Elijah Craig, you have the Heaven Hill Select Stock, you have Parker's Heritage, you have Larceny, you have McKenna, you have Elijah Craig. Mm-hmm. What else am and I Then missing? we have a bunch of little regional brands like Pikesville, which, which was now, it's now a national brand. We have Rittenhouse Rye, we have Bernheim Wheat Whiskey, we have Old Fitzgerald. Um, then we have like J.W. Dant, J.T.S. Brown, T.W. Samuels, Heaven Hill Whiskey, yep. um, Virgin Bourbon for four markets out there. I mean, we've got the, and I'll, I'll go into why that, that happened, but, um, that we, we have, we, and then you go over to Europe and we've got things like Mark Twain and Daniel Stewart and different brands that, you know, it's, you just never ever seen or, or heard of. So, and of course, our flagship brand is Evan Williams. Yep. Evan Williams, which is, I think the highest produced bourbon in the world, right? Or is no, that Jim? that's Jim Beam. Jim Beam's number one. There are about seven and a half million cases, and uh, we're not going to catch them. We're number two, though, at two two and a half million. I knew it was up there. Yeah, so we're number two, which means we outsell Maker's Mark and Wild Turkey and uh, Bullet and all that stuff. People are surprised about that, and and it's you know only the salespeople and the owners worry about those kind of numbers. That's our goal is not to be number one. Thank God, because we're not going to be. Um, our goal is to, to be the most admired and uh, recognized distiller of American whiskey. And that's important because, well, first of all, we're family owned. And so the family, you know, they're, they're the ones, they worry about the numbers. They worry about running the business. You know, Heaven Hill makes vodka and rum, a bunch of, you know, we have tequilas, we have a bunch of stuff. But for the distillery, that's the, that's the heart and soul of the, of the industry. It's 30% of our revenue. Um, it's a lot more of our profit than 30%, but, uh, it's the heart and soul. It's what we started out as. So it would make no sense to make American whiskey when you, when it turns to, to looking at profit because it's, it costs so much money. But because the family started out making nothing but American whiskey for about 30 years, it's what they love. And so they don't mind spending the extra money. Plus, when you get to a certain point, the returns are greater when you already have the infrastructure in place instead of having to do it. Uh, but still, it makes no sense. I mean, to, to, to have a product that you have to wait up to 23 years to sell. Yeah, it's, uh, it's so the most admired and, uh, and, and uh, recognized. I think we're one of the most admired. We've won a bunch of awards lately. And, and I always have the line, nobody cares about awards till you win them. We've won a bunch lately, but uh, I don't think we're one of the most recognized, and and that's partly our fault, um, just because we have so many of those brands, and some people don't associate it with Heaven Hill. That's okay. That's why I got a job, so that's fine. I think at least the people that are in the know when it comes to bourbon, the people that are going to follow stuff, the people that are listening to this show know what Heaven Hill is. And I mean, for for anybody who's gone up there 
It's a beautiful, beautiful distillery in Bardstown. They have one of the best visitor centers out of the whole bourbon trail. You think you. about that bar with the big Getting ready round. to remodel it. Real, you're not getting rid of the round bar. No, right? that's the Parker Bean tasting room. No, we're going to extend it all the way to the cistern room. So you know where they fill the barrels on the other side? It's going to... Yeah. You know, it's been there since 2000. It's been there for like 14, 15 years. So you got to change. I mean, people, you're getting, you know, a lot of people come back and visit. You want to have something new for them. So that's going to be over the next few years. But yeah, it's the heart and soul is going to... It's, it's fine. But and you still got to change it. I, I think for all of us, you know, Heaven Hill has a very good reputation. There's so many things from Heaven Hill that, that we like. But before we even get into that... Let's talk about you. I mean, you are the whiskey professor. You are... The man with a plan. I don't know. You are Mr. Bottled and Bond himself. I mean, what brought you into what brought you into bourbon and whiskey? What got you to be where you are? Well, the, the industry came to me. So in 2005 is when I started... Because we know you're a man of many talents. Well, a, you know, I you did know. stand. I was telling you the first uh, com. I did stand up comedy for 20 years, from 1985 to 2005. For full time living, I was a stand up comic and, and musician. <laughs> and uh, so, the uh, stand up comedy was my was my profession. And then at a certain point, you get to, and you need you need health insurance. Right? <laughs> at a certain point in a certain age, you need health. It is America. We don't get health insurance. So, uh, you know, 750 bucks it was, it was a lot of money to pay each month for health insurance. Uh, but I had an opportunity because I've been hanging around some folks and some of them I still work with today at Heaven Hill, but um, that were working in the industry and said, hey, we're going to have, um, uh, we're going to, we need somebody to go into bars around Kentucky and, and talk about whiskey. And as a comedian, you can talk to people. So it's, it's, that's, that's a talent and a skill that I had. And I didn't know that much about bourbon. I mean, I knew as much as anybody growing up in Kentucky knew, right? Um, which is some myths and some wrong, you know, wrong, wrong truths. Um, what's the, what's the untruth? What is the word they use now? Uh, false truth. I don't, whatever it is. But anyway, <laughs> fake, fake news. news. Fake, no, fake well, not news. fake news before that. It was the truths. But anyway. No, it was uh, an alternative fact. Alternative fact. I knew <laughs> some alternative <laughs> facts. You know, like all bourbon has to come from Kentucky, you know, and then, then, I, then there was that one that all has to come from Bourbon County, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. you know? So anyway, there's, there's a bunch of un, uh, untruth. So, uh, but you know, I can do that. And then I, um, I started finding out that people, even in the industry, this is 2005. So, I mean, I, re I was, I was working at Jim Beam and, uh, they hired me and they, and a guy, uh, somebody came up to me and they said, you know, they had absolute vodka at the time and they had all this stuff. And, and, uh, he says, too bad you're on the whiskey team and nobody's drinking that, you know? And I'm like, whoa, you know, that, I mean, I'm from Kentucky. We, we all drink. We, we, you know, it was never, there's never like a downturn in whiskey in Kentucky, but I know the whole country. It was a very small thing back then. So, uh, I got to be around and, and, and I, and quickly noticed that people, even in the, in the company and in the business and in the industry didn't know that much about whiskey. And as a comedian and somebody who worked for themselves, like, you know, I can exploit this. <laughs> yeah. So. And I'm interested in it. And my father worked at a brewery. And my grandfather, who I never met, was from Germany. And he uh, moved over uh, into Kentucky in the uh, 1890s. And he and 12 other saloon keepers started the Fall City Brewing Company in Louisville, Kentucky in 1905. Awesome. Really? Yes. That's so awesome. if you've ever heard of Fall City, there's, mm -hmm. there's my dad's ring. It says Fall City Brewing Company, 45 years of service. That's awesome, man. man. 
take a picture of that. You can put it on your side. That's awesome. And uh, my dad retired in 1976. So that's his ring from 76. That's when people used to work at places for 45 years. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, my dad used to bring home stuff from the brewery and I was always, always interested in kind of, you know, the, that industry. I never thought I'd be doing it. And then I was invited because I was a comedian. I was invited to people, you know, do come to these tastings and stuff. And that's when I got hired to those events promotions. And then I started learning more. And then Jerry Dalton at the time, who was the master distiller at uh, Jim Beam, he gave me a copy of the standards of identity for distilled spirits. And said, son, you need to, you, this is where you need to start. You need to learn what these words on labels mean. And nobody was talking about words on labels. And I decided I was going to make that, that was going to make it my thing. And that was going to put me on the map because, you know, I'm not a master stiller. I worked with Fred No, you know, one of the best people in the world and one of the best families in the world with the Beam family, Booker's son and uh, Jim Beam's great grandson. And Fred, it was so welcoming and just so wonderful. And then I said, well, Fred, you know, I, I can talk to people, but I don't know them. He goes, hell, you can, you can just ask me, you know? And I'm like, what better source? You know, you got somebody like him and then, uh, in Jerry Dalton to ask, I've got the two of the top guys in the world. If I don't learn something about bourbon, shame on me. And plus with my heritage and wanting to, and, and my, with my dad did and my grandfather did. So that's where the, the fervor. And then, uh, I was after about a year and a half, I was invited by the uh, um, brand manager for the small batch, you know, Knob Creek and Basil Hayden and Booker's and Baker's, but Knob Creek, especially, uh, which is Fred's baby, really. But uh, Fred's picture went on the side of the Jim Beam bottle at the time. So as the seventh generation distiller. So he was going to be kind of busy on a year long tour talking about Jim Beam. And they needed somebody at the time. They they noticed there was an uptick in the small batch in the small batch bourbons and stuff. So the, I was chosen as a, as an ambassador for that. And then then it then then all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, I better really know my stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when I started writing the book because Sister Mariama taught me in, in grade school that if you want to know about a subject, write a book about it. So I didn't write it as an expert. I wrote it to learn. And I did have an insight that a lot of people weren't talking about. And then I've, there's been two, you know, this is the third edition. So there, over the years, I, I have, I, I have, you know, bottle and bonds become my thing and nobody was talking about it. And I thought that's something I can hang my head on. And, and I, and I told myself one day, I'm going to bring bottle and bond back. Nobody's talking about it. And even people inside the, in, in the, the, the company, didn't want to talk about it. And I'm like, this needs to be talked about. And I saw that it resonated with bartenders. I saw that it resonated with people and no one knew anything about it. And they'd say, bottle and bond. And just what my dad told me, it's the good stuff, son. And I go, what's that mean? He goes, well, it's a, it's a hundred proof. And that's about as far as he could go. Uh, and it says on the bottle, inspected by the United States government. You know, that's back when, you know, people trusted the government. It was a long time ago, but you know, and that's about as far as anybody could go. And I'm like, you know, if I know words on labels and bottle and bonds, one of words on labels that goes right along with it. So that's what I really put my, held my shingle on. And it kind of put, put not just, you know, me on the map a little bit, but that wasn't the goal. I mean, it's just, you got to be credible in the industry when you're talking to folks, when you're talking to folks like Ryan, when you're talking to folks like Vinny, when you're talking to folks who are behind the bar, you know, I'm not a distiller nor do I pretend to be. You can ask me about some questions about distillations and I don't know. But you know what? I got Denny Potter's number in my phone 
you know, who's our master distiller. I got Charlie Downs number in my phone, who I texted today on the way down here to learn some stuff about pre-fire stuff and that kind of stuff. <laughs> I've got, you know, Craig, I can talk to hell. I can, I can talk to, to, to Eddie and Bruce and Jimmy. I got a lot of people I can access. And when I go to whiskey fest and when I go to different things, if you're not talking to these people and, and always have a couple questions. For the Jimmy Russells of the world, you know, for the Denny Potters of the world, have a specific question. They'll tell you. I mean, even if you think, you know, he won't tell me that. And I mean, you get a lot of honest answers because they're not in marketing and they're not in sales. They're making the stuff. Well, and hell, that's why we did a podcast. I mean, I think it's the same reason you wrote a book. We, we did the podcast because we're not experts. We yeah. said we wanna we wanna explore this a little bit more, and then and over time you become an expert. And over time, you know what they say: ten thousand hours um, talking about. I mean, I don't know what it is, but that, anyway, Bruce over Lee, time, ten thousand kicks, yeah, whatever, like yeah. you know. But over time, you become, and you don't think I don't think I'm an expert. We put in a you lot know, of but, tasting you know, time, but, but I think it. that's one time. <laughs> you know, it's like Jimmy probably, you know, Jimmy and Parker. Parker would tell me, Parker Beam, he goes, "I, Bernie, I learn every day. I learn every single." Jimmy says the same thing. I learn every day. You know, uh, you know, I know better than uh, certain things. I know better to let a whiskey go this far down. It's going to flock up, you know, but here and here, I'm going to bring it up. You know, six months ago, this was not flocked up and now it's flocked up. And I know better than that. He's holding an Elijah Craig 18 <laughs> that is pre pre-fire Heaven Hill. That uh, is a perfect example yeah. of why you would chill filter a whiskey and what happens <laughs> to a non-chill filtered whiskey when it gets down to the bottom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If, if, if nothing else, uh, this is going to be a good learning uh, point. <laughs> And that's drink. a but, that's a hot button issue yeah. is 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 a uh, chill filtering always. You know, if you fine. get a message from this <laughs> podcast tonight, it's drink up. You're right. <laughs> you know, don't whiskey is made to be drank. Yeah, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. That's right. But Parker would say, when you open a bottle, finish it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least if you're with friends, sure. if you're by yourself, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> another another point. When do you have time then to go play bluegrass? Notes? I've had the honor down here in Nashville when uh, we were uh, at, we were uh, for the for the Louisville Visitors Convention Bureau uh, for the Bourbon Trail. I had the honor of playing with uh, Steve Cooley, who's a Grammy Award winning banjo player. Played with the Dillards many years ago, and. Um, then uh, Michael Cleveland, who's the world's best fiddle player, who's uh, probably down in Nashville tonight. He's, I mean, if, when you're, if you're Vince Gill, if you're, you know, whoever, and you're cutting an album, he's one of those guys that, you know, does it in one take, you know, mm -hmm. when, uh, when you're cutting an album, he's a blind fiddle player from, a, um, from up our way. And, uh, you know, I'm just lucky to know him and, but I've been able to play with him a few times and it's just amazing. I mean, he's, He's won International Bluegrass Musicians Association. It's a big convention. 250,000 people come to it in Raleigh. He's been uh, named the uh, best fiddle player of the world 10 times. Good so Lord. I guess he's the best fiddle yeah, player. It seems like it. But, uh, you, know, like, yeah. you know, and people don't know who he is, but it's just, um, he's just amazing. And he plays a five-string fiddle, for God's sakes. But, you know, I'm just a little uh, guy in the bourbon business who always wanted to be a bluegrass picker. Uh, but I but I need that check every two weeks. You know, I've, I've been a musician and a comedian, you know, and I've got a good <laughs> gig right now. But, uh, you know, I make a point. You know, I, I played a gig Saturday night uh, with Hickory and my buddy Hickory Vaught who's a great mandolin player, an unbelievable vocalist, great guitar player. And um, he and I together wrote a show that uh, uh, Ryan has seen uh, that we do called Bourbon Through Bluegrass, where we tell the history of how bourbon became bourbon, and we taste unaged corn whiskey and go into aged corn whiskey, then how wheat comes into the equation, and then bottle and bond, and then the small batch and single barrels. So we tasted that evolution 
because certainly 200 years ago, Evan Williams and Elijah Craig and Basil Hayden and Jacob Beam were not making bourbon. They were making unaged corn whiskey. It wasn't until the 1800s that the barrel comes in. So we taste that evolution. We see that evolution. We taste it. We feel it. And then we see how wheat comes into it because wheat wasn't a thought out thing. Wheat was like a winter grain. So if you're going to make beer in the wintertime, corn's gone. So for the most part, so you're going to throw wheat in there. So it wasn't like, hey, we're going to make wheat. It's like, this is what's here. <laughs> so, you know, you see that evolution. You see how it goes. And then along the way, we play you know, live bluegrass music, either from the time period or about the time period we're talking about. And it's a really cool way to do a tasting that's different because tastings are tastings. If you oh. ever have a chance to see that show and walk through <laughs> the tasting and hear the stories and, and the history of whiskey, it, it sticks with you. It's 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 thank amazing, you. and you're blessed blessed to experience yeah. it. We're sure. proud of it, so thank you. I'd be remiss to not bring up the parallels almost between you and Al Young. If you oh. think about... <laughs> That's a compliment. Thank well, you. Well, I'm just saying, if you think about his history and coming through the theater and, and mm -hmm. just kind of falling into whiskey that way and, and mm -hmm. you with comedy and music and falling into bourbon the way you did. Yeah. And both of your biggest strengths are your ability to talk to people and be that face of the brand. Mm -hmm. You know, to not the face that's out there like the Jimmy Russell or, or anything like that, but the, the face that is, you know, the, the ones that are going to the masses. You are you are the grassroots campaign. You are the ones that are getting the, the crowds up and going and and being the, the stewards of your yeah. your respective distilleries, it's it's kind of amazing how things like that happen, yeah. right? Yeah, it's funny, you know. And I've I found that it would, that that show had has, was so powerful to the, there's just uh, 150 to 200 bartenders that come into Kentucky twice a year uh, called Camp Runamuck, and and if you're a bartender out there and and you want to hone your craft and meet and network with other folks around the country and the world. It's, a, it's something to look into. But every spring and the fall, they come into Kentucky and immerse themselves. See if, see if I'm saying this right, Ryan. Mm -hmm. Immerse themselves into Kentucky culture and the distilling culture. And then it's like a retreat almost uh, with whiskey and, uh, and with uh, like-minded folks. And then you get the opportunity to meet the folks who make it and uh, represent it. And then uh, but doing the show, and, it's, and I'm really proud of it because it's be, kind of become uh, one of the favorite things that they tell us that they look forward to every year. And when they do it, we do it in the beginning of the week. It just sets it off real nice. And uh, so I've had to take it, you know, we could request for it. Hey, y'all need to come do this somewhere. And I'm like, well, I can't have the band come with me because they got lives. So I've learned a way to do it in a solo way. And it's a little bit different, but, uh, and I show a way of, uh, uh, Merle Travis, uh, the, the Travis style of picking that I like to do. It's kind of thumb picking kind of a thing. And it's really, it's, it's unique. Uh, and it's unique to Kentucky. Um, and, uh, but because of Merle Travis, it, it wasn't started that way, but like many things perfected that way. And then, um, bluegrass music and Bill Monroe. So even though Nashville and the Ryman take credit for bluegrass, <laughs> uh, Bill Monroe did come from Kentucky and it is a Kentucky kind of thing. Uh, but without Nashville and WSM, bluegrass wouldn't be uh, introduced to the rest of the country. So I put those things into the tasting when I do it and it's a lot of fun. And, I, and so I'm going to Europe, uh, again. And, uh, so when I go over to Europe and I play and I do this tasting and I play the music for them, uh, it really brings it alive when you're in, uh, when you're in, you know, the UK, like in Manchester or London. You know, I'm going to Cyprus this year and I'm going to Italy and I'm going to Croatia. And, uh, it's so much fun because 
I get to turn them on to Kentucky whiskey and turn them on to Kentucky music. Now there's plenty of talk about the being with the Beam family. So when was the transition to Heaven Hill? Well, I'm still with the Beam family, you know, because there's Beams over over at uh, at Heaven Hill too. But um, that's coming up on uh, six years. Okay, opportunities happen, and I built a nice reputation for myself. And um, they needed somebody over at Heaven Hill. The gentleman that was doing it before, Rob, he uh, transitioned into another position at Heaven Hill. The traveling was was uh, was a little bit. Uh, heavy for a guy who had kids at home and little kids at home and stuff. Cause I travel three weeks a month. So, um, uh, he, he actually now represents uh, for our sales, uh, Kentucky and Tennessee, which is really cool. So he has roots down here too, and comes down here, but, um, you know, there's the company side of things too. And so there's certain things that changed in the company and I was moved around in a position that I, that I wasn't really having fun in, but I was still expected to be an ambassador too. So I was kind of overworked, underpaid, and I felt <laughs> underappreciated. But, uh, um, you know, and I, the hardest thing was telling Fred, no, that I was leaving. And uh, he said, do what you got to do, brother. And uh, he goes, you know, you're always you're always welcome in my house and you're always a friend. So, uh, you know, that's it's that kind of thing with the, with the distilling families uh, that are like that. But I've had a blast come over to Heaven Hill. It's just been like, I mean, you can see I mean, uh, our, I mean brand manager, our, our whiskey corn. brand manager is going to be mad that I'm bringing this up. But the Mellow Corn, you know, it's a 5,000 case worldwide brand, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's a very small little brand. But it's just a cool little brand. No other distillery is going to make this whiskey. No. Mm-hmm. no other major distiller makes aged corn whiskey. Yep. And it's a great price. It's so oh, cool. Yeah. And it's so historic. And it's like, wow. You know, they can't even believe me. You know, if you like what Balcones does, and I do, um, you know, they're making corn whiskey. Mm-hmm. And no other major distillery is making an aged corn, much less a bottle and bond straight corn whiskey. So it's so cool to have that and to play with things like that. Bottle and bonds. Bartenders and injury folks latch onto this. Yeah, why See not? It. They get excited about it. And it's I think it's the rarity, but I think it's the quality of it. It's it's the label. It's everything about Mellow Corn. So to have a product like that that gets people excited, that just opens the door for the rest of this, you know? I really like cooking with Mellow Corn. No. It's not gonna lie. I mean, there's there's that, and uh, Evan Williams Green Label is a really good. Oh cooking my god! Man. Yes, absolutely. So having those kind of whiskeys coming over to Heaven Hill, then we make a uh, ten bottle and bonds for God's sakes. I mean, ten, ten. So you know, I was talking with um, John from Smooth Ambler and mm-hmm. Old Scout. I was talking with uh, Rob and Jesse from uh, from Stranahan's and all mm-hmm. that stuff. You know, we I love. Like I said, I always have a list of questions. That I, when I see distillers and I, you know, folks that I really get along with too, and they're just fun to be around and all those, I mean, I, there's very few distillers. I mean, they're all awesome. So, and I said, how many brands do you think that are out there in the, in the universe? Like American whiskeys. And they go, well, there's 1400 craft distillers in the United States now, 1400. So if they make one or two, right, we make like 30, right? And then when there's 10 major distillers, so we think there's over 4,000 brands. You know, a lot of them are a little regional and mm-hmm. it's only even leave a city, you know. But still, you know, think about how many Corsair has, right? So think mm-hmm. about, so there's probably 4,000. There's got to be more. There's probably more. I was you know, but, too. But, you know, but I'm trying to make it realistic, too, yeah. you know. As you say 5,000, they're going to say, you know, you're crazy. But what, what, over 4,000. How many bottle and bonds are there? It's under 30. Right, I was going to say thirty. Was my guess it's was thirty under thirty, and I mean there's, I could. There's probably twenty to twenty five 
And there could be one coming out tomorrow, but there's only going to be like 10 bottles of it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So of the 25 to 30, Heaven Hill makes 10. Crazy. So I took that as this is an opportunity to show what a family-owned distillery can do because we're the ones to hold the history on brands like Mellow Corn and J.W. Dan and Old Fitzgerald and Pikesville, right, and Rittenhouse Rye. You know, it would make more sense for Rittenhouse Rye to be Evan Williams Rye if you're really pushing a brand. It would make more sense to have Pikesville Rye be Elijah Craig Rye. But our owners love those old brands and really have an affinity to it because that's one way our distillery was built, was procuring those local regional brands, just like craft distillers do, but we just bought the brands because in the 60s and 70s when most American whiskey companies that only made American whiskey were going out of business because the business had taken such a big downturn, we had diversified into other spirits and we became the purchasers of brands. And that's why when you buy a JW Dant or an Old Fitzgerald or a Rittenhouse Rye, it has a following. It has a loyal following. And as long as you don't screw it up, it's going to sell that much and maybe a little bit more. And you don't have to advertise it with one penny. So it's all revenue, right? Yeah. And so you might have the same whiskey sold under 10 different brands, but that's the way our family built this company. And now the challenge is to take those little regional brands. And unfortunately, they, they, some of them have to go away. They've done their job, but we need to push. We are in the bourbon business, not the bourbon charity. We need to push Evan Williams, Elijah Craig and Larceny though. You know, we do, we, we do have to make money. And a lot of, I mean, some people, I mean, a lot of purists, they'll go, why do you make those honey and the cherry, that Evan Williams cherry and that eggnog? What is that all about? And I'm like, we're in the bourbon business. You're not making it for fun. Not the bourbon yeah, charity. Making some money. I mean, that is consumer driven. The consumers want that. Mm -hmm. And if that, if the sales of that honey and eggnog build one Rick house, which costs five and a half million dollars right now. Is that okay with you? Can we do that? <laughs> Some, somebody's buying it somewhere. Is that yeah. okay? You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's like, would you have to get your permission to, to, to do this? So they don't think all those companies went out of business that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. It already happened once. And by the way, companies like Jim Beam had to sell and Maker's Mark had to sell. Maker's Mark sold in 1981 to Hiram Walker in Canada when it was losing money. That's Let crazy. that sink in for a second. Right? <laughs> Seriously. You know, Pappy Van Winkle's <laughs> company, Stitzel Weller, which everybody thinks is the ha, right, of, mm -hmm. of anything that came from anything, it sold in 1971. And it totally went out of business in the early 90s. I don't consider it the Holy Grail of whiskey because if it was a Holy Grail whiskey, it'd be open, <laughs> Right. And it'd be making great well, whiskey, what, but what it's I closed. Would, what I would argue, <laughs> and this is the one one thing that that's interesting about whiskey is you take something that is, you know, fifteen years old, or you take something that's not even nine, eight, nine years. When you're distilling that, you have no idea. You know, your first batch is going to come out 10 years later. So you're distilling this stuff. You have no idea if it's even going to be good. Yeah. I mean, you have an idea because you're tasting it along yes. the way. But and you're making still. a big gamble 
mm-hmm. that and they're time bombs. Oh yeah. yeah, we're gonna find out tonight. We're gonna taste one <laughs> that's too old. I and right. which is one of my favorite parts of <laughs> yeah, having I'm, I'm they're really, time bombs. I'm really surprised John doesn't have kind of a, a bit of a permagrin here. He, <laughs> he's referenced that that Parker's more than once, huh. and and references bottled and bond all the time. Mm-hmm. We you want to get into the Parkers? You want to talk about the park? We, the well, next you know Parkers? what I think we he, he and I go back and forth. I did break. He, he loves the bottled and bond. Well, like, I love John, bond. You just keep, you keep beating this bottled and bond. Where do you? Where, where does this keep coming from? <laughs> well, not only is it unique, though. It, you know, let's be honest. It's a, it's a great selling proposition, too. Though you know, there's not a lot of bottled bond in the market, like you like you touched on. Yeah, you come I in, call them the Green Beret of whiskey. It's awesome. Yeah. They're the, uh, the Green Beret. They're the Navy Seal. This was one of my favorite things about. The and we'll we'll talk about this and we'll drink it here probably in our second half. We're going to split this up into two parts, but the um, it's a thirty year bourbon, and Parker used to just. I mean, I I don't want to tell the story. Please do. No, I but mean, you you. I mean, Parker was a, an unbelievable gentleman to meet, and I'm so blessed and and honored to have been able to work with him. And um, you know, he was an, he's a Bernie. You text me anytime. Call me anytime, anytime you need anything. Don't hesitate. And uh, you know what a what a great resource. He was with our company for fifty six years. He is one of my favorite people in the history of bourbon. I think. And and you think about the people that are up on the Pantheon, and you have you know Parker, you have Jimmy, you have Eddie, you have Booker. You know all the all the people that we put up on a pedestal and say are the bourbon celebrities, but. Parker was unique because he just knows everything. Mm-hmm. And this bad whiskey that you brought that <laughs> is one of my favorite parts of the Heaven Hill tour, it's Parker just would nose it. And the nose on this, if you open up this bottle and you smell this, I'm telling you guys, it smells amazing. And then you take a sip of it and you're like, this is this shit is awful. <laughs> <laughs> so where this came from was, why would we do this? Um, and I wasn't with the company at the time, but Parker told me and um, Larry Cass and other people who, who, who um, uh, ran the tasting. So this was the second release of Parker's. The second release was the 27-year-old. Mm-hmm. Everybody at the time said that's way too old. I mean, these are the people, you know, you know, Booker said anything over nine years old was too old, and you know uh, Jimmy's of the of the uh, camp that anything ten years old or older is, uh, is is a little too old, or over ten years old is a little too old, um, and that's all you know their opinions, and they and you know they're right. I mean, and for what, what year was released just for reference? Because what's that? What year would that have been released just for reference? The twenty seven. Uh, well, the twenty seven was see that was uh, how many releases are we on? Thirteen now or twelve? I don't know what is it? what is it? How many Parkers we got? It was last year was 11, so this yeah, is 12. 12. Yeah, 12. That's what I thought. So, you know, so that's uh, 10 years ago. Okay. So 10 years ago. So what we did was we, we um, brought, because over time, Heaven Hill is one of the first companies to release uh, big older whiskeys. So on purpose. So uh, Elijah Craig, when it was 12 years old, was released in 1986. It was nine dollars and ninety nine cents a bottle, and sat on the shelves and got dusted. <laughs> Must be nice because people didn't trust older whiskeys. If you remember at the time, older whiskeys were put into collectible decanters, mm. and the ages were masks. They would put on there the age in months, so it'd say this whiskey is one hundred and twenty months old because they didn't want you to think it was eight years old or. Or is that 10? I don't know. I can't do the math. I'm from Kentucky. Right? So, you know, 120 months doesn't sound like it's 10, 10 years old. Mm-hmm. But it is. 
But they would put those on. So I.W. Harper and Heaven Hill and Beam, Jim Beam, you know, they, they had the most prolific uh, decanter program. You know, they had trains and cars and telephones and all kinds of stuff, different shapes and sizes. So that's where you put your old whiskey because people wouldn't buy my dad who lived to be 94. He told he was a big bourbon drinker. He drank drank beer. That's why he lived to be one beer at three o'clock, and then he drank beer. But he said, "I don't trust a bourbon over six years old." And I said, "What do you mean by that?" He goes, "Well, if it's over six years old, that's just the stuff they can't sell." And he had a point because they would put it in decanters, and people weren't buying it for the old whiskey. They were buying it for the decanter. There you go. And it would say, I mean, what does that say on there? It's a, it's a beam, 100 month old. 100 months yep. old. Right? So if it was over six years old, that that's about the upper end of the stuff. Now, you know, Pappy Van Winkle was coming out with some of the, uh, the, the yearly release, I do believe, for Old Fitzgerald was the 1849. And that was like our Parkers or our birthday bourbon. That was a yearly release. And people got excited about it. And they had a very, very old special, very special old. So that was, you know, that, that line. But most everything else was in a decanter. I so, have the 12. I yeah. have the, the very, yeah. very old 12. Um, and I've had the 1849. Yeah. Both are great. Yeah. But they were, that was a different thing. Everybody else. And how else do you think Julian Van Winkle was able to walk up to a distillery and say, do you have any 20 year old barrels? I can buy, I'll buy them all. <laughs> you know, and they said, sure. Some idiot wants to buy 20 year old barrels. You know, I mean, that wouldn't happen today, mm-hmm. but that wasn't happening in the eighties and nineties. You know, well, so even that the was I mean, even if you think of, of when I was at Kentucky mm-hmm. and I tell this story all the time, this is another one that Zeke's heard me say too much. And, but you know, I could go into the Kroger. And you could get Elmer T. Lee and you could Absolutely. get, you know, you could get Tornado Survivor, uh, E.H. Taylor. You could Well, get- by the way, every one of Heaven Hill's barrels is a Tornado Survivor. <laughs> all all 1.42 million barrels are, have survived a tornado. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and, and the five guys sitting here. And floods. Hopefully. And floods. We've survived floods. And too. they don't cost you a dollars We've survived locusts. Yeah. We should put that on there. Cicadas. <laughs> but, it, but it's part of that, though. Not so much the. You couldn't sell it. That's a joke, Harlan. That's a joke. Sorry. (laughs) You know, the amount they were producing versus the amount being bought, it just wasn't going out the door. No. So, you know where a lot of it went? So, it went into canters. You know where the other ones went? Uh, Overseas. To Japan. Yeah. Yeah. Went to Japan, went to Korea, went to a lot of places because they wanted old. They want old and strong. Nobody here, when my dad said, it's the stuff they can't sell. So my dad, like six-year-old, he bought the Heaven Hill Green Label six-year-old 90 proof. Not the Heaven mm-hmm. Way, but the Heaven Hill six-year-old 90 proof. Five dollars a fifth. That's what he bought. That's what he, li- he drank until the day he died. And that's what most people's mindset was. Old whiskey's bad. Mm-hmm. So that's why they, so think about this. So Heaven Hill is one of the, and then we, in the early 90s, we came out with the 18-year-old. 40, 40, early, like $42 a bottle. How much and do you and think pe- that-, that started doing okay because Scotch whiskeys were starting to, you know, hitting the single malts and people were looking at it so it didn't scare them as much. A new new set of drinkers came in, you know, but it still took, I mean, years and years. Well, and I was going to bring that up and I'm glad you did. How much do you think that is the different mindset of Americans where, you know, because of the weather in Scotland, you're going to need to age that a little bit longer 
than you would a whiskey. It took a lot of education. It took a lot of whiskey fests. It took a lot of whiskey lives. It took a lot of, you know, it took a lot of uh, specialized liquor store owners to take an interest in it. It took a lot of, it took a lot of a lot of things. It's never one thing. It's never one brick, right? It's always a foundation. And so it took Julian Van Winkle and Heaven Hill. But Heaven Hill, Max Shapira, our owner and president, 1986, along with Parker Beam, comes out with, on purpose, 12-year-old, 94-proof Elijah Craig. And it wasn't, you know, Julian, you know, we had 18-year-old way before they were coming out with, you know, the, the Pappy Van Winkles of the time. And then how many people make, have 20-year-old whiskey now? Hardly anybody, right? So, I mean, you had to be around a while. And, and so if it's you think Diageo, it, us, and yeah. Buffalo Trace, right? I mean, that's pretty much it. But, you know, we're the only ones that did it on purpose. Yeah. Well, and you had to, to sit on it appropriately and put it in yeah. a spot where it didn't just turn to so parker funk parker was mm-hmm. one of the first master distillers to have the mindset we're going for old whiskey then you have to take 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 years to learn where that whiskey tastes the best from so we learned over time and parker wrote down and told mike sonny from our company who puts together our smart and Chris Briney and the different folks. These are, you know, these are the unheralded heroes of any distillery that you have. The people that tastes, the people who are on tasting panels, the people that put together small batches. You think the distiller does everything? Denny Potter, our master distiller, he'll tell you he doesn't. He can't, right? <laughs> yeah. Because you, you have to have your generals. You can be you know, the, the guy on top, but you have to have your five-star generals out there doing stuff and they all kind of, and you're in the panels too, but you can't do everything. So you have to have people like Mike Sonny and Chris Briney and you have to have those people at like, uh, like, like Tommy Croom over at Jim Beam when he was at Jim Beam. And you have to have those people who have that and in the warehousemen and women who work in there, who work with barrels every day around some of these tasting panels. And then you learn. So we bring all of our, anything that's under 15 years old comes, you know, that's, a, that's a, as we, we call a premium product. That's not by taste, right? That's by price point. Mm-hmm. Small batch, single barrels, okay? Things, things are, you know, for us, that's 30 bucks, right? So <laughs> <laughs> that's going to come from floor four, five, six, and seven, where you get more of the concentrated flavors. Then you've got anything that's like our 18 or 23, anything that's got a lot of age on it, it's going to come from floor one and two. Now that just didn't happen from the get go. You had to, they had to take 10, 20 years to learn that. When we remember that Rittenhouse 21, 23 and 25 year old, mm-hmm. how do you think people say you're going to come out with those again? No, <laughs> right? Cause we didn't know he had it in the first place. They found 200 barrels on the first floor of rye whiskey. Well, rye whiskey, our Rittenhouse rye, is another one of those that sits on the fourth floor and higher. That's the standard. So when they found 200 barrels on the first floor, this is before we started barcoding them, right? This is when Mr. Ice, who did the warehousing, he had a big thing on a, on a, on a piece of paper, mm-hmm. on a spreadsheet, and he knew where all the barrels were. But, you know, he, you lose, you lose. Okay. People say, oh, you don't lose. That's bullshit. No, you can lose a couple hundred barrels out of a million, right? So they found these, and then they go, what do we do with this? Well, first of all, rye whiskey is not supposed to be on the first floor. Well, it wasn't the standard 20 years ago. It's the standard now. 
So that's how standards are written and that's how things happen. So when somebody says you know, a, new, a new distillery just opened, right? And they're making great whiskey. Boy, the white dog tastes great. Well, that's great. <laughs> it should. You know, first of all, it should, right? Sure. It should. Hey, you know, they're, they, they're two year olds real good. Good. That's good. That's a good sign. Right? You know, I tasted it last year. It's three years old now. It's really getting somewhere. Well, that's great. You know, you know, you know what? Check back. I'll check back with them in 30 years <laughs> because they're going to learn. It's going to change. Right. And it might be phenomenal. You know, I, Denny Potter always describes Heaven Hill this way, and I love it because on December 13th, 1935, we were a craft distiller. When we opened up, right? <laughs> we just opened. We're making a few barrels a day, mm -hmm. right? And all Heaven Hill is today is a craft distillery that became successful. So that's what we are. We're still a craft distillery. We're still making whiskey the same exact way that, that uh, Joe Beam and Harry Beam were making in 1935 and then Earl Beam was making in 1945 and, and uh, Parker after him, Craig, and now Denny. Making it the same way. Do you think there's a difference? So you're talking about those people that have the two, three-year whiskey, mm -hmm. those crafts. I mean, the the established brands, I think the big brands that are backed, you know, the the Beams, the, the Heaven Hills. There's only 10 of us. Yeah. They have the luxury of waiting sure. for that whiskey to Absolutely. mature. And then you get those crafts that are out that might have a two-year whiskey that, hey, this tastes pretty good. Okay, that's great. Let's get it out of the store. You'll find, I find, and I don't know all of them, but I know the ones that I like. You know, the guys at Corsair, I think they do a wonderful job. You know, the folks that I know, what, what uh, Chip did at uh, Balconies and what they still are doing at Balconies and what other people are doing, um, um, you know, at small little places. They're not trying to compete with the Heaven Hills and the Beams of the World. They're going for other recipes. They're going for other things because it's hard to compete with us. I mean, as a salesman, I don't want to butt in, but yeah. as a salesman, it, you weren't with Heaven Hill. You're on your own. Let's say you start with a company. You're a free agent. You know, mm -hmm. Wouldn't you go for the same thing if you weren't with a major market or house or brand? Like, Let's be different. You, know, let's be you different. have to be different. Let's, let's, if we're going to sell, mm -hmm. how can we compete with the big guys with the money and the advertising? Let's do our own thing and, and do it. You know, mm -hmm. if, and their if you were in their shoes, you know. Well, I mean, I think that's the ones I see that I think are going to be around a sure, while. Sure, sure. The ones that are doing something different. Because if you're trying to make good 12-year-old whiskey, sorry. Sure. Plus, you don't have a – first of all, you don't have uh, 57,000 barrels in your inventory. Sure, yeah. And that's what a Rick house holds right now. So if you're, and plus you got to know, you got to have the number of Don Blinko over at Busick. So if you want a brick house built, there's only one company that builds them. Okay. There's only sounds one. sounds like the company I want to get into. So <laughs> Monopoly right there. Yeah. They, they're the company. Okay. Right? Hey, Zeke, I'm thinking so about to start the company. Learn something new yeah. every day. Yeah. Wow. You're well, invest in bars wow. that nobody uses anymore. <laughs> you know, put them and, all over. and any company can build them. You don't have to use them. But they can build one in six months, okay? And they already have the plans because they've been building them for a while. Uh, imagine building, drawing up the plans for a rick house. You know, every barrel sits on a rick, and there's thousands of ricks in a barrel in a barrel house. So, 
You know, and then you oh shoot, we built them and we forgot to put walkways in between all of them. Well, shoot, oh we forgot that. You know, so you know you got you want to call them, right? You want to call them. <laughs> so so first good, of all, you got to call them. Then, but, but you know, if you don't have fifty seven, if you only have five thousand barrels in your inventory, you don't need them. So where are you putting them? You're putting them in a regular garage or a warehouse or a barn, which or is a... not going to age the same. Then let's say that company becomes successful, which is what you want. Then they buy one. Well, that whiskey is going to taste different than that. So this is going to take another 10 or 12 or 20 years. So you're talking about now, I'm not saying don't buy things from a craft distiller. I'm just showing you the challenges of the industry that is prohibited. That's why you find that there's going to be 10 major distillers that are going to make 95% of the world's bourbon and American whiskey forever. For, For the sake of consistency, when you're talking about these craft distilleries, they don't have the luxury of happy accidents. Right. That you may have. Right. That you can release as these these limited releases is as the the two hundred barrels of Rittenhouse that were found on the bottom shelf that shouldn't have been there. That's a happy Which accident. we had to ship to a, a, a New York or something because nobody was buying it because it was $129 a bottle yeah. and it was twenty one year old rye whiskey that nobody knew what to do with. So we we shipped it all up north somewhere and they sold it. And now everybody wants it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know? But with luxury- but for why though? Because of the age statement or because of the liquid? No one no. trusted older whiskey back then. I mean, it wasn't a thing. And it was untrusted. It was untested. But if you think about, I mean, the stuff that, that you guys probably sell more than anything, and that's the Evan Williams. Evan Williams. And, yeah. and I, sure. the things that people talk about, the um, you know the Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond mm-hmm. is one of the best purchases that you'll ever have in whiskey for 16 bucks mm-hmm. you have a great bottle at six years old but know, it's only in it's only a in very Kentucky. small market it's, and you know that's the thing it's just like oh fitzgerald you touched on that before we started the podcast yeah it's yeah. like oh fitzgerald you know when we we have made that a national product now but it's it's not the 20 bucks that it was anymore because you know shipping it out to california is a little bit different than shipping it down the street <laughs> and uh, then you have to, you know, people don't even, re- people don't realize what it takes to have a proprietary bottle. So just the business of creating a bottle. So you, you're, you're working with it. And now our owner and president, Max Shapira, he designed the original Elijah Craig white mouth bottle. Mm-hmm. And he loves that bottle. And I admire him so much because he's, you know, this was 86. But he designed that label and he designed that bottle. If you ask a president of a, of a, of a distillery to make a bottle and a label, he's going to send it to an agency. Mm-hmm. Max made that. He, I mean, that's how hands on he was. He, at the time, he probably was the brand manager for whiskeys because, you know, he, he, wear many hats, you know, because it's a family owned company. You do what you got to do, but still. A bottle, just just a small little like this is like this like like this old Fitzgerald bottle, which is which is just a tall round, which is the same thing like a J.W. Dant comes in, or a Rittenhouse Rye. It's just a tall round. You can put you can uh, the Fighting Cock is also in this bottle, mm-hmm. so it can be many different things. So that's something we have. So that doesn't cost anything extra to make that. But if you're going to make a bottle like the new Elijah Craig. There might be a quarter million dollars put into that. Just the bottle. Designing it, making the mold, mm-hmm. because you have to have a proprietary thing. And it has, so there's a mold. You have to deal with, the, there's only three glass companies in the world or whatever. So it's like, you got to deal with that. So that could be a quarter of a million dollars. So you're not going to put something. That's why we took such care to put the new old Fitzgerald 
into this beautiful decanter because it heralds back to to that brand and to the days. And that's an actual bottle. Uh, I'll tell you the funny story when we when we taste that in another segment. But that bottle probably costs thirty dollars in glass for us. But we'd probably put a quarter million dollars into that. Crazy. It I goes don't think, I, I don't think you don't think about that. You know, it's yeah. like I'm on the bar side right now, yeah. on the retail side. You buy, and you know, when you come into, and John worked as a bouncer in bars forever, you know. I was a bartender too. Yeah, right? Sure. It, it, when it comes to purchasing, right? And you, you go to a bar, you're always going to pay more than when you go to a bar and you're sitting at home. Everyone Absolutely. knows that. But on the on the selling side, on the, uh, you know, on the distributor and retail and everything like that, what actually goes into to producing a bottle liquid not included you know with the right. manpower the brand the billing we haven't talked about it we haven't the, even talked about a label the yet. advertising <laughs> the advertising and the glass you know in the glass it's like before you even get the liquid in the bottle mm-hmm. you're already at, at a margin you know yeah. so you got to go up and again like we talked about in the very beginning you said is we're making money you know we have to make some money to keep the business afloat obviously yeah. everyone knows that mm-hmm. uh but we're talking about old fits and we'll get to tasting you know, not only is it a beautiful decanter, it's just like, all right, you got you got the label, you got XXXX, you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. people think, all right, price, liquid. There's so much that goes into a price of whiskey outside of the liquid, and it's got to taste good, obviously. Uh, there's a lot of fa- variables and factors that go into pricing, which I don't think people realize. You know, not mm-hmm. the, not the general consumer. And there's certain know? people that just make a beautiful bottle, and the liquid is sure. inferior, and they put $80 on it, and it'll sell because... Taste okay, and it's a pretty bottle. Yeah, hype, hype. There's something we were talking about that I'd love to kind of go back to because we we've kind of touched on it a couple times here on air, and then we also touched on it kind of uh, when we were tasting the beginning. But uh, I was mentioning kind of the, the happy accidents and and kind of the learning process, the mad science behind all of it. And I know Zeke was talking about this, and we all, we very briefly mentioned that that bottle at the end, and I, I want to touch more about that the the pre fire. Bottle. Mm-hmm. I, I'd like if you guys are open to getting back into more a little bit about that. Kind of like no. I think Zeke would love to talk about that and has been waiting to bring that up. So Zeke, <laughs> you, you. Well, I think it's it's two segments. So I'll let Ryan continue on. So I think where he is is more with the filtration, mm-hmm. this being chill filtered, and then also it still is. Uh, I mentioned the the oils and the compounds building and. and mm-hmm. There is science there. in a lot of this stuff. So, um, and so grand, nobody can yeah. see this right now, but I mean, looking at it, th- it's like a. This is a. If that was a full bottle, though, like that, a, you would a melted not old it. fashioned, some sweet tea, maybe. It some, looks like an Arnold Palmer. Looks like a river. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I'll be honest. That's what it looks, looks like, like. It looks like a river, yeah. to, for better or worse. I mean, so that's called flocking. Yeah. And. Um, that means that the fatty molecules in there are presenting themselves. There's too much air that has gotten to it because that's a that's a that's a uh, cork closure, mm-hmm. which is not a airtight closure. And I had let the uh, and if this that the bottle was half full, there'd be no problem whatsoever. Sure, you yeah. know, but it's down to about a half an inch, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and it turned on me just recently because I. You know, I people come over to my house and they they want to taste some stuff, and I was you know she taste anything you want. So um, you know, we tasted this not long ago, but you know it'll it can turn in an hour mm-hmm. on stuff, and that's why we cold chill filter. So a lot of, you know, it's a hot button issue. People say don't just don't don't cold chill filter anything. Well, you're not in the bourbon business because if every bottle was not cold chill filtered, and then it was put on a truck in the winter time and got cold. It would look like every full bottle would look like that. 
but it's almost like an unfiltered IPA. You know, very cloudy, very hazy. Uh, you know, that caramel color brown. Yeah. Uh, but it just looks hazy. You know, unfiltered. Like you know, proteins got in there, and you know, you know. Now the now the, the the machines that uh, that do the chill filtering. Mm-hmm. That's about a that that costs about a couple hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And then there's filters that it goes through because they're collecting the fatty molecules, so they're going through. Um, they cost thousands of dollars each, and they don't last that long. Mm-hmm. So, trust me, if it did not enhance the product, mm-hmm. we would not do it mm-hmm. because it's very expensive. Sure. Yeah. So you don't do it on every product. We don't do it on our anything that's you know we used to not do it on uh, bottle and bonds, but we found when we were sending those internationally uh, because they were going so far in containers, they were flocking up. Uh, so now it's like 110. I don't know the exact. I can find out, but it's you know it's 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 north of 100. Wow, that's interesting. So anything that uh, we have that's barrel proof or anything that's like a Pikesville, mm-hmm. which is 110 proof, we don't chill filter. But anything less than that, we do for the most part. I love Pikesville. Yeah, Pikesville's amazing. It's I, amazing. I think, but you know, we haven't spent a penny on it, so it's kind of on us. Uh, but you know, it wins best rye. It wins best mm-hmm. whiskey. You know, number two whiskey of the world from Jim Murray a couple of years ago. Uh, and and that's amazing. Six year old, one hundred and ten proof uh, uh, rye. But um, you know that that this cold chill filtering, such a hot button issue for no reason. I have talked to people at several different distilleries in the processing, and that's where you find your answers. People who are behind the scenes doing it from many different distilleries that do it, and they assure me. They say that they think, this is their opinion, okay, opinions, everybody's got one, is that it doesn't affect the flavor. Now, everybody will tell you it affects the flavor. Uh, You can debate that all day long. So, okay. But what they will tell you is that it affects the mouthfeel, which makes sense to me. So, it's a tactile thing, not a flavor thing. It probably will take a little flavor out, but, you know, at that point, can you specifically point that out? One guy maybe can, you know, in the world, mm-hmm. you know. So um, can can you? I mean, I don't know. But that's what, you know, so we wouldn't do it if it didn't enhance the product. Mm. It cost a lot of money. We talk about it a lot. But, you know, are you going to buy that product that's $15 to $30 to $60 if it's, if it's cloudy? I just want to say real quick. <laughs> yeah. For all the people listening that are complaining about pricing and, and Bernie sitting here talking about how much it costs to chill filter and all that other, you know, if we just all agreed to open bottles with friends and drink them drink quickly, them. Drink then we could there would be no cost. secondary market. Yeah. Well, no, but we could, I'm going to do my part. There's just a little bit of this. Yeah, old yeah, yeah. We could keep the cost down with, with the distilleries because they're not spending money sure, on the filtration. Sure. I mean, we, it's a cyclical thing here. Right. We could Everybody all do wins. our part. Right. That's not the you know that's not a sexy thing to talk about. It's People, not you know, it's, it's processing very, is yeah. not sexy. We were talking about that earlier. Yeah. But it's got to be something on the <laughs> and not to put anyone on the spot or anything, but the distilleries have to know that it exists. You know what I mean? It's like well, everybody knows. It's like exists. sports gambling before sports gambling just got legal. You what know? I have it's what I have an issue with is people who know nothing that have an objection to it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Or who know one little thing, and I and I and it's hard to get into a discussion with somebody when they just say don't ever chill filter, and that's all they got. I mean, you're you right. It's, it's such a buzzword now. I've seen like all oh, the yeah. store picks like the people are talking about. Tell the me first, three reasons why they can't get there. Filtered. Oh no, there's a, there's, a, there's a new bottle out that 
that specifically has an extra sticker, non-chill filtered for wow. extra flavor. We put some of them. We, we wow. do that on some extra of ours because it's such boy. a big point. But what is what's the proof again? The chill filtration. Uh, we, we do north of a hundred. Yeah. Because we we do send things internationally, and if you're not sending things internationally, you can do a little bit lower proof and, and get away with it. Mm-hmm. But it also depends on where you're shipping it to. We ship to every every state. So that just if you're only shipping to a couple states. You don't have to worry about it as much. That is based alcohol content, kind of preservative wise, or you know, I don't know the science. You know, that's I I thought thought yeah, that's probably a number that that's science related. There is a total number. You know, you know, you should really have you know some people on from processing uh, from some time. You know, because it's fascinating. That's and that's where I learn all my stuff. If I want to learn about warehousing, I talk to warehouse people. If I want to learn about processing, I talk to processing people. I try to go out of my way to to get to know folks in the distilleries. And they're, you know, been there 20, 30 years. Let me tell you, they'll tell you an earful. Oh, we'd love you to know. hear it. I think, <laughs> but, Zeke, I think it's like Guinness. You know, like the further you go from Dublin, the different oh. Guinness tastes. I don't know about that. It's more the temperature. <laughs> what is a temperature thing? But, for sure. But laughably, uh, you know, mm-hmm. oh, some months ago, John and I were playing around and we wanted to see if something was chill filtered. So we put that in a different bottle in the freezer because they in the freezer, you know, it's supposed mm-hmm. to the same thing, get real cloudy, et cetera. Well, granted, we didn't see any difference in the liquid other than the whole like glass just ghosted over. Sure. But tasting both of them, they tasted awful. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were probably some of the worst things yeah. that they were not good. Uh-huh. Waited 35, 45 minutes, mm-hmm. room temp again. Tasted good again, but I mean, they were not good. We got scientific on it. There was a video. Interesting. Really? It was an OWA and a Russell's. Yeah. Both NCF and honestly, freezer, so not good. Like, we were both just like, why does this yeah. taste awful? We, we've, we've had both <laughs> these bottles before. We've drank them. We know what yeah. it should taste like. And it was just. Yeah. Somebody in Prasic can tell you exactly. Gunk. Exactly. I, I mean, what that is. You don't want to spit it out. Mike and Chris at Artisori can tell you exactly what happened. <laughs> We're going to have to come up and, and spend it, you know, because one of the things that you didn't talk about that I'm always game to go get is an Elijah Craig grenade. Oh, yeah. Those are some of my favorite. Uh, yeah, they're 125 proof. Um, I think they're 12 years old, aren't they? Yeah, 30 mm-hmm. bucks. Yeah. Um, it's a hell of a deal. Yeah. So so, so are they. And I get you where you want to go. Are, 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 are they from a, a special area? Or are they more. Um, Fourth floor and higher. I guess usually. Con- confined and more consistent because we've talked to people and laugh about it and, and tell folks like those grenades have a very good but also unique flavor. Well, they might be from another floor. They could they're, be. You know, I got to talk to you know, Chris. They're very, and Mike they're very about different that. from the, mm-hmm. the, the barrel proofs. Any of the releases. Because you want it to be because. Uh, they're, but it, they're but it's unique and, and also. Could consistent. be from another floor. So I, I, we always mm-hmm. wonder if there's some just like. Oh no! That corner of this, you know, et cetera. That, that's just where we keep these because that's you know yeah. where we sell them out. Of. Well, they could be from the corner, but we got fifty six corners. <laughs> I mean, we have a well, great we got fifty six different warehouses, so we you know we have the luxury of having. We always wonder ones. if there's like the, the, the unique area. Of, no, that, that's it where we put be. the grenade barrels. We have a great show. We did. It's one of my favorites where we took the old squat barrel proof Elijah Craig versus two yeah. of the ones from last year versus the. Uh, grenade mm-hmm. and we did them all in a blind and it was just and it's one of those shows that you really uh you really find out a lot about your palate and and about mm-hmm. you know what you think essentially would be the same whiskey but that grenade i i think that grenade came in first or second for me nice. i love that little elijah craig grenade well, it's a cool little thing and it looks I and mean, they call them grenades because they're, they're they're barrels yeah mm-hmm. 
But they, they because they're so small, they're only, it's only a three seven five, I think. And if you look closely, so it looks like a you hand can grenade. see all the yeah. the staves that yeah, uh, yeah, that are on the yeah. side. But if you're looking at it from far away, <laughs> it just looks like. And a it's a good price. I mean, yeah. it's a great gifts. But Zeke, we're we're sitting here, we're drinking this Elijah Craig eighteen against Bernie's uh, advice. Well, no, I just said <laughs> you're you're you're. I said it's going to taste fine, but. Your your eyes are gonna tell you something. It's else, hazy. Right? It's cloudy. So I, it's I, I don't think you meant to go there, but I'll I'll take the lead and run with it, and I'll simply. Oh, say, I didn't. I meant to go there. <laughs> at least to me, it has a completely different back end taste, finish, etc. That, as it was described to me from other folks, they call or some will call sweet oak, and that's associated with with part of the pre fire quote unquote mm-hmm. profile. I would say that hits it to a T. Sure. It's not as dry. It's not as, as pronounced of a just pungent oak flavor, which I guess would, would lead the door open to e- easily say, is it the wood that's different now or did something change after the fire? But I'll, I'll, I'll let you roll with, with what did or didn't change during the fire because that's definitely a, well, a, yeah, a source you, of contention between a lot of people, I feel like. I mean, when people get this romantic thing about distilleries and <laughs> old distilleries and yeah. whatever. I mean, it's great. I mean, Parker will tell you that that, that old distillery made really good whiskey and he, and he liked it, you know, but you know, he built that, you know, his grandfather built that distillery and so I look at it today as that the awards we're winning on a lot of these things are from the new distillery, our new distillery. Do you have a preference? If you don't mind me, I don't, I don't haven't tasted enough pre, you know, the pre-fire thing is a sure. you know I haven't you know and it's all older stuff how are you going to know how are you going to taste how are you going to go back into a time machine and taste five year old whiskey from DSB we did taste it by yeah. the way we just had some DW Dan oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I kind of prefer the Evan Williams bottle and bond to that four year old JW Dan so it depends a lot on age you know when you when I look at the distiller's rule of thumb. When a distiller, Greg Davis taught me this, Master Distiller at Maker's Mark. And he says, you know, he was a brewer. He lived down here in Nashville for a while. Um, so he says, when you when you look at a dis- distiller's rule of thumb, it's a sliding scale. So you look at it. Uh, 10% of the final flavor comes from yeast strain. So if you keep everything else the same and only change the yeast strain, that whiskey at the end, for a rule of thumb, is going to taste about 10% different. Then you've got distillation. So this whether it's pot still, column still, you know, distillation is 15%. So if I keep the yeast strain the same and I keep everything else the same, same age, same floor, same whatever, 15% different. Then you got your fermentation, your small grains, that's 25%. So if I change up the recipe, if I have a high rye recipe compared to a, a regular uh, bourbon rye, if I change, if I have, if I have a wheat bourbon recipe, bourbon wheat recipe compared to that, 25% difference. And then if aging's 50, 5 zero. It's a sliding scale. So that 18 is probably a 60% for aging. Okay. Mm-hmm. So think about that and think about the genius of what, uh, Jimmy Relich did over at Four Roses. They have nothing but single-story warehouses. Aging's not 50% there. Aging's going to go way down. So what did he do? He said, I'm using yeast strain and recipe to change. And then he makes 10 different whiskeys and does that. So that's a big deal. Smart. 
right? He doesn't have seven floors, nine floors like everybody else has. And, you know, they said, well, just tear them down, build them. They cost five and a half million dollars a piece. So, <laughs> you know, so, so um, you know, you have to do it. And I think that's just genius what they did over there. Then you look at what Parker is doing. So Parker's like bringing out 12-year-old whiskey and 18-year-old whiskey on purpose, right? So it took him decades to figure out. Oh, first floor for anything 18 or older or fit whatever there's a cutoff, you know, in their mind. Uh, anything less comes from, can come from everywhere. And then you've got lower floors for the older. You got a fourth floor and higher for, for rye whiskeys and premium whiskeys. So that takes time because you do this. So when you look at that pre fire, like different ages come from different parts of the floor. It could have been before they really learned. You could have gotten a good one, single barrel. Each barrel tastes a little different. Oh, yeah. Right. So, that it, 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 you know, pre-fire to me, I don't look at it as such a big deal. And that's disappointing to many people. And I've been talking to them and they just get disappointed. And I'm like, <laughs> I said, I don't have the affection. And I wasn't here when that story was built. Parker was. Parker had an affection for that. Craig has an affection for that. You know, that's something that Charlie has an affection. Charlie Downs has an affection for that. They, they, they tried to put the fire out as the fire was coming up into the distillery. I get it. But it's still a Vendome still. It's still the same still. And that whiskey doesn't know what building it's in. It knows what vessel it's in. It doesn't have a brain. It doesn't have a thought, right? And people say also too, well, let's, corn was different. People never think about that. Parker told me that. Bernie, the corn was different. Hmm. What do you mean? He said, well, there are strains of corn right now. They were, there was different strains of corn back then. So Those damn GMOs. Stuff. Well, you know, that's another hot button <laughs> that, issue. That's and, an alternative and we don't, fact. <laughs> you know, and Joke, kind of. Do you maybe. want, I mean, you really don't want non-GMO no, stuff. Or, no, and there's not enough of it in the world to make the whiskey we make. So it's okay. You know, we're okay with uh, GMO. But the, the corn was different. So that's 25% of the flavor. So when you, I mean, I, I, when I look at a, that, that what Greg taught me of the, of the, of the rule of thumb really comes in handy when I talk to people like that. And I just saw matter of factly, that could be that it was pre fire. That's fine. If you want to have an affinity, but guess what? There's going to be a day and the day's really quick that all that whiskey's gone, gone. So what are you doing now? What are you going to drink? Nothing. Hold on, to yeah. few, hold on to a few barrels under yeah. the house yeah. or bottles. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be gone. It's gonna like it's gonna be gone. So well, this, let's let's appreciate what we're making now yeah. and winning awards on because guess what? You can't go back in a time machine and get that all the time. No, I certainly yeah. get it appreciated. So yeah, I, and, I appreciate the you know what it was and that, but you know, hell, I I like what we're doing. One 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 other thing another friend brought up to me as I was a. Uh, talking about this coming up was after the fire there was more than likely some sourcing to meet supply issues oh, absolutely so with that you would have such a drastic difference that by the time stocks were built back up to be non-sourced heaven hill only juice again that'd be such a window of change that you would go from one standard to someone else's standard to almost a you know, a new standard, what do you want to call it? But absolutely, as all these other factors changed, I mean, it would just seem so much different to everyone. Those three different windows, it, it, it does almost kind of separate in the, in the, the, the middle lag being the sourcing does. that is, and that's so where the folks lot. like Mike and Chris and all their team 
get together and they do the blind triangle tests because when they were blending and mingling, we don't like the word blend, mingling, <laughs> sourced or, you know, again. So Brown Foreman next door to us and there, we were sourcing, we were contracting, not, not sourcing, but contracting. Uh, we did source some barrels because uh, nobody else, we were the only ones making old whiskey, really, on purpose. So but if they had older whiskey, they help. would help. Right, right. You know? And they also wanted to make money, too, right? Yeah. So, you know, they, <laughs> nobody, you know, it's, it's a lot cheaper to sell it to Max. <laughs> it's not a charity, ship, right? But a lot cheaper to sell it to Max and ship it to Japan, right? So, <laughs> you know, it was, just, it, and it was helpful. As, you know, as Mike Veet says, I don't think that if Pepsi-Cola had a fire, Coca-Cola would call up and offer help, right? And people did. <laughs> so that's a great thing. But also, you know, uh, you know, Parker and Jimmy, uh, and, and, and are friends. And, and, um, Lincoln Henderson, you know, are friends. And Booker No are friends. So how can we help? So we got some barrels we can sell you to, to fill some holes. Well, you know, if you're doing a, if you're doing a thousand barrel dump or a 600 barrel dump and there's 50 barrels from them, but it's a similar recipe I go back to, it's Vendome Stills. The recipe is about the same. We were sending our yeast strain over. By the way, we have the same yeast strain as the beam. So anything coming from the beam is the beam family yeast strain. So you see how all that comes into play to where it's not that different, really. And if you're only putting 50 barrels in into a 600 barrel dump and you got 550 barrels a year, there's only 50 of that here and there, it's not the dramatic difference that you're you're thinking it is in your head. I'm with you. Yes. So this is what the challenge is, and that's what people like Mike and Chris and every people they love that. I mean, it's kind of a pain that it happens. No one wanted the fire to happen, but they get to put their skills into into into, into action. Right? They get to do the stuff. We're supposed to make it taste the same. By the way, Evan Williams was seven years old, ninety proof back then. It's now five years old, eighty six proof. We had to adjust. We didn't have as many barrels. Uh, we were giving away a lot of age and a lot of proof. So, you know, things we were playing up against for four years old, 80 proof. Well, shoot, seven years old, 90 proof. That's not even a fair fight, right? So you got to, again, the whiskey business, whiskey charity thing, you know? Yep. A lot of things going on. That's all I was thinking of when you were saying that, when you bought the, you know, when you all bought the, uh, the bourbon from other people or contracted with other people, you know, it's and hey, bo both. It, it's a little bit of both at that time. It was a yes. whiskey charity and a whiskey business. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and, you know, uh, we all, I mean, shoot, Charlie's wife works at uh, wild Turkey <laughs> you know, in the accounting department, <laughs> in the HR department, but still, you know, everybody has, you know, it is Kentucky. Right? Yeah. Uh, bourbon's a big industry. Yeah. So you can have people and families who work at different distilleries. So they're going to help each other. But, I mean, I think when I have this Elijah Craig 18, I mean, to me, I'm still getting similar. And, and this is where Zeke and I differ, and we've never really sat down and had a big conversation on it. But I still get on this pre-fire, it, it's almost like a, a little bit of a cigar aftertaste in, in the finish for me, where it's the oak is just kind of that... I'm not getting the sweet oak. I get sweet on the very front, but the finish to me is the same, that it's that dry, cigar-y... Really? You think oak? that finish is the same as that one we had? 
I'm getting like this I, like maple sweetness, and so and I'm influenced because you said it, and I'm tasting. I was like, no, but see, right. that's the problem. You got to stop listening. I, I to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mr. Broken Palate. No, no, there. blind tastings here. Blind, blind tastings. Well, you've now listened to him. It's like it's like right before. That's why I hate when people look at the tasting notes before they come <laughs> taste something, because someone will say like. Oh, this has like baking spices and orange and citrus and all that. And all of a sudden they're like, I taste citrus. And it's like, well, you know, you read somebody else that said you got citrus. What yeah. did you get? That's that's the funny thing. It's like you said it and then it's like you said it as I was drinking. And then my mind's like, ooh, sweet maple wood. This is delicious. <laughs> Don't worry. It's there. <laughs> it's there. Yeah. I, I will simply say, I mean, granted... <laughs> the bottle is very low, um, but my Elijah Craig 18 was also somewhat low, and I mm-hmm. I, I handed it off and, and never looked back. Mm-hmm. Even if mine was at that state and cloudy, I would keep that one. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's tasty. It's very And they're nice. single barrels. Remember, they're Close. single barrels. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's another fact of it. Um, the This past year's uh, Parker's Heritage, mm-hmm. uh, John's got one. A couple of the local friends of ours have one. year. Um, I mean, awesome. I, I, he I, doesn't like mine, but he likes everybody uh, else. No, no, I, 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 I had three different ones and did not like any of them. Just thought they were a bit of a hot mess. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy sends me a sample of one randomly. I get it, and, and literally, I'm just like, ah, I'm gonna hand up this thing, but I may as well go ahead and get it off my shelf so it's not taking up space. I take a sip, I'm like. Oh shit, <laughs> this is really good. I mean, I'm blowing up John like other friends. I'm like. You guys got to taste this. I'm like, this is the winner here. We got to find some of this barrel. And I appreciate the guy because he sent more than two ounces in the sample. So we (laughs) each had a nice It was a four ounce somewhere. It was hard to even drink out of it, man. It was great. But speaking of which, I think it's about time we take a break from this. And and Bernie, we thank you for all of this conversation. Oh, my pleasure. We want people to go. Hopefully we address. I mean, we love meeting hot button issues head on. We like to feel at Heaven Hill. We're very transparent in everything we do. I'll put a little plug in for my company, HeavenHillDistillery.com. We tell the dimensions of our stills, how many thousands of barrels are in each each rick house. We tell our every one of our recipes. It's all there. Email us if you want to talk about water, if you want to talk about GMO, if you want to talk about chill filtration. We love to talk about it. You might not like the answer we give you because we're very honest, <laughs> but that's okay. You know, it, we want you to know every, we are a family owned company. And so thank you for letting me talk about some of these issues. I mean, you know, you want to talk about the pre-fire and I probably deflated, you know, I've no, texted no, you there night going, Hey, you know, whatever. But we addressed them today. No, Hopefully I, it's. I, I liked where we went. I, <laughs> I know only a certain sect. The rule of, people, of thumb is cool to think about. Only a certain sect of people listening are going to, you know, that's going to be their jam. So I didn't want to beat it too much. No, it's fine. But while we're on the note of, you know, any questions open, we do have mm-hmm. some some friends that run and or own stores, and mm-hmm. they want to know when either and or both uh, Henry McKenna picks and or Elijah Craig barrel proof picks will be coming out. Never. <laughs> fair. fair, fair, yeah. I, I was told I had to ask or I would be cut off. Well, you know, we used to sell 18-year-old barrels. You know, back when there was plenty of whiskey, there was. But, you know, we had to take the age statement off the off the Elijah Craig. And then we got a lot of heat for taking it off. You know, many other stories bigger than us can't keep up with age statements. Um, but what was happening was when we took the age statement off, and it's still 8 to 12 years old, 
So it's eight. So this isn't totally correct, but think about it this way. We do a th- now we used to do 70 dirt barrel dumps at the beginning for small batch. Now they're 300 because people are thirsty, right? So we, mm-hmm. you can't, you got a bourbon business, right? Just, just it, it, it's labor intensive to do small batches. So 300 barrels. So picture uh, 150 of those barrels being eight, nine, and 10 years old and the other 150 being 11 and 12. There's still some really old whiskey. If you put Elijah Craig small batch up against Henry McKenna, the Elijah Craig's much darker. And Elijah Craig's 94 proof and Henry McKenna's 100. So there's a lot more older whiskey and still old whiskey in that. So when we had to take the age statement off, we were challenged with, we could keep it on there for sure, but we know where that goes, like WL Weller 12. So you don't see that on the shelf anymore. Well, honestly, I, 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 you do I, in I, Texas. I, I think you helped yourself by not saying the barrels had to be 12 years old, especially from a, you know, a store pick perspective. But I'm sure I'm there's plenty the of store singles. Pick. I'm getting to the store pick perspective here. <laughs> so we had to do away with every barrel program. Because Henry McKenna and Elijah Craig and Elijah Craig Barrel Proof are the same recipe. They're just different ages, different proofs. So if all of a sudden, like Henry McKenna just won Best Bourbon of the, of the World in the San Francisco Spirits Competition, well, nobody sir. cares about awards till you win them, right? But we did. <laughs> but Elijah Craig Small Batch, <laughs> Elijah Craig Small Batch came in second. Really? Wow. Yes, second. Okay. And that's the small batch. That's the small batch. The eight to twelve. That's not the all twelve years old. That's not the last year, which which won uh, from Whiskey uh, Magazine, uh, Whiskey of the World, the uh, Barrel Proof. Uh, that's the small batch. So all of a sudden, everyone wants to buy a Henry McKenna barrel. Well, if we that's all ten years old. If we sure. sold a thousand Henry McKenna barrels, all of a sudden we're out of ten year old barrels, which goes into the dump of the small batch. So this is the exercise in futility that you go through when you own a bourbon distillery. And if you're, if you sell every 12 year, these, the barrel proof goes away because all of them is sold as 10 year old and it doesn't get to 12 year old. Not to mention there's no 18 and 23 now. So now you gotta, you gotta go to Max, our owner and president and go, this is where I screwed up. Huh. I opened sure. up the Henry McKenna and now we got barrels we're selling here and I got no more 18 to go. Well, and he's gonna, and you're going to have to listen to him lay into you because there's no 18 or 23. Or some, and, some, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was saying, in, in, inversely, <laughs> you know, we could go to the wave of people hated age statements mm-hmm. and they wanted them. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily care about age statement. I care about the profile. I'm just telling you. I know. But Henry McKenna's <laughs> got to be 10 years old. So that's where they go. So anyway, that's where that went. So we could talk about this yeah, stuff this for another two hours. So, Bertie, we thank you. We sure. want people to go to. Uh, Go find Heaven Hill at heavenhilldistillery.com. Go to Twitter at heavenhill1935. Absolutely. Go to Instagram at Heaven Hill Distillery. Go see our friend Bernie Lubbers. And I'm at Bernie Lubbers at about everything. And I have a website, too, called whiskeyprof.com, like Whiskey Professor. And go visit our friend Ryan Yamada at now in Nashville. Does headquarters have anything? HQBeerCave.com. Yeah. HQBeerCave.com. Go see headquarters. They got some good arcade games down there in Nashville. We are going to take a quick break and actually drink some stuff. We'll come back. We'll talk about those. So if you want to listen to the second episode, we're going to release these both in the same night. So I'm going to be pretty busy editing <laughs> all this audio. <laughs> Stay tuned. Cheers. Cheers to that. Cheers. Thanks Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for having me.